Imagine being co-defended in a landmark lawsuit by the state just for entering a worship service, when just 24 hours before that, the same church fed, sheltered, and provided social services to the same community in a non-religious service. In other words, imagine a case where it's legal for a church to offer non-religious services, but illegal to gather for worship. You don't have to imagine this. This is the story of Godspeak Calvary Chapel in California and Pastor Rob McCoy on the Falkirk Center podcast starting now. Hey, welcome to another exciting edition of the Falkirk Center podcast here on the campus of Liberty University where Christ is King, church is essential, and freedom is is everything. I'm joined this afternoon by Pastor Rob McCoy, Godspeak Calvary Chapel there in California. Welcome, Pastor. So good to see you. Thanks, Ryan. Good to be with you, buddy. Well, sir, I want to, you are, you are like the first line. Uh, you were the, one of the first people to, to go over this wall in, in the religious liberty cases uh, in, in California. There are numerous ones. Um, I'm so thankful that in just recent weeks, uh, Pastor John MacArthur jumped in. Um, but you've been at this for a while, and uh, you, you in many ways have been the trailblazer out there in California. And I just wanted to talk about where are things currently for Godspeak? What is the, what is the case, the particulars of the governor's order, and, and what, is, what it was that, was that you were defying in that order uh, as you gathered as a, as, uh, as a church? Sure. Well, it goes back to April 4th, which was Palm Sunday when we did communion. Um, the, the governor <clears throat> had closed the churches and declared us to be non-essential. He permitted cannabis and liquor stores, cannabis distributors, liquor stores, all of them to be essential, but not the church. Mm. And at the time, I was a sitting city council member for the city of Thousand Oaks. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand by idly and, uh, and accept that. The, the church is completely essential. In, in a time of pandemic, the church is essential. And so we followed CDC standards and we opened up our sanctuary for communion, which we celebrate the first Sunday of the month and it happened to fall on Palm Sunday. And it's a sacrament to us. And so we had 10 chairs in a sanctuary that holds 400 and we followed CDC standards and did communion. And I was in violation of the governor's order. So I resigned from the council because I knew they'd have to censure me and the governor wasn't gonna give up on that as far as overreaching. And then as we started to understand the, the this pandemic more, we were all concerned early on. Mm. We didn't have enough information, but we've done a 137 nightly broadcasts at 7 p.m. Uh, with no less than seven doctors, two psychologists. We've gone all over our county numbers, our state numbers, you know, US numbers, world numbers. We've looked at this pandemic, this virus. And as we gained an understanding of it, and we had a clear picture of it, it was affecting folks 65 and older with comorbidity. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's basically the issue. And you don't quarantine the healthy, you quarantine the sick and the most vulnerable. That's right. But in California, the governor just kept pushing and doubling down. And finally, he just closed the church altogether and said we couldn't even meet indoors. And we, we opened completely on May 31st, Pentecost. Yeah. Because after we saw the governor embrace all the Black Lives Matter riots and the looting, and, and he, he just said that he gave them their blessing, they were shoulder to shoulder, hundreds of thousands of people, no masks, 
Uh, they, 75% of the businesses burned in Los Angeles were Jewish businesses. I mean, it was a complete hate crime. Mm. And here the governor's embracing it. And we realized that it had nothing to do with this pandemic, this virus. Uh, our, our death rate in our county of 850,000 people is one one hundredth of one percent. And uh, wow. we, we've tested 16% of the total population of the county, which if you do polling, yeah. and I used to Gracie Nielsen projected data, those numbers aren't going to change. Right. It, it, it is what it is. Yeah. And the lion's share of the over 90 that have tragically died are all mostly, I'd say 85 of the 90 plus are 65 and older with comorbidity. Right. And no one under 30 has died from this. Yet we've shut our schools, shuttered our businesses, released convicts into our streets. And now three of the five county supervisors who were so upset that we weren't abiding by the governor's mandate, we had the audacity to remain open. Mm -hmm. No social distancing, no masks. We do have ionization machines and UV lights in the air ducts. And we use hand sanitizer, but you don't worship the Lord or have community with masks. It just doesn't work that way. Right. And there's no there's no empirical data to justify the masks or the social distancing. It's 50-50. No one can say that this empirically works. Nobody. Mm -hmm. And they go back and forth. Right. So um, that that's where we were. Uh, these three uh, county supervisors were able to vote the other two uh, uh, and win and uh, they got an, uh, an emergency temporary restraining order placed on me and a thousand unnamed congregants. Um, and of course, that was given by a judge who was political and predictive. We, we knew he was going to rule this way. You just see his background. Mm -hmm. And um, he said on a scale of one to 10, the church is a 10 in regards to the greatest danger in our county. That being said, We've been open since May 31st, wide open. We haven't had one case in our church. Mm. In the zip code in which we reside, 91320, these are county numbers. I didn't make these up, bcemergency.com. Mm. We have the lowest number of, of positive cases for residential area in the county. Mm -hmm. So he's saying we're a 10 out of 10. We've had no deaths. Wow. We have no one testing positive. It's insane. And, and when, when churches are closed... Yeah. Five times greater suicide rate, but we're non-essential. You know, Pastor, I, I I know you're a you're a man of the word. Um, you know, as a as a church, you uh, your uh, services are oriented around praise and worship, and obviously opening God's word and every Sunday preaching expositionally, and you walk through the Bible uh, faithfully every week. You know, I, I, I almost feel like this is a Daniel six kind of test where it goes beyond that. Actually, in Daniel chapter six. Um, you know, Darius was actually giving an order to Daniel uh, against praying. It was a 30-day order. And there was nothing in the Torah, nothing in God's word that required Daniel to, to, to pray three times a day to the Lord publicly. There was nothing there. But if or you open a window. Yeah, or open a window. There was nothing required. And yet in obedience uh, to the Lord, he did it anyway, not because it was written down in the word of, of, of the law of Moses, that thus saith the Lord, thou shalt pray to me three times a day. But he did it out of conviction, right? It was his private prayer before God. It was his reverence and devotion to the Lord. When you look at the new covenant community that is the church, and, you, and I love how you reference Pentecost. I love how your church got together on May 31st. That's huge. As a 
as an Acts New Testament church, faithful to the Lord, new covenant community, we gather regularly as they did on the Lord's day. We've done this for 2000 years uh, as a regular. And in fact, we were given this warning, do not forsake the assembling, the ecclesia of the brethren. Um, so the saints gather regularly every Sunday as we've always done. And that has become um, our, our way of meeting and, and showing devotion and, and, uh, to the Lord. That, that regular gathering I think goes beyond what even Daniel was doing in Daniel chapter. This was prayer. He was willing to sacrifice his life just to pray to God. This is about something that is ordered. We're commanded to do as New Testament believers to come together as the church. And so I, I'm just, I'm wondering, you know, how do you process that, you know, in, in light of what's happening um, as a biblically faithful pastor walking through the word, um, what is this test that we're experiencing as a church? Have we ever experienced something like this in this country? Uh, not that I know of. We, we've never locked down the entire country and shut churches, and we've never quarantined the healthy, mm. to my knowledge. Yeah. To answer your question in regards to the, the biblical understanding from my perspective, mm. first of all, I don't expect all pastors in the country to do what I'm doing, and mm. I don't fault them if they aren't. They're not my enemy. No. My brothers in Christ. Amen. And, and this is unprecedented, and we're all having to navigate this. For me, it was very clear. I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you're, when you're when, sharp, though, you are very sharp. When the governor says the church is non essential, that's a no brainer. Mm. And, and if communion is an essential, if the church is an essential, then Christ is an essential. Mm -hmm. and, and when the Apostle Paul, when you see this in the book of Acts, especially chapter 9, his conversion, he, he asked two questions in the course of Acts chapter 9. He says, Lord, who are you? And then he says, what will you, what do you want me to do? Mm. And this is a man who's persecuting Christians, but he's so moved by Stephen's faithfulness to the Lord in the midst of government draconian measures that would even result in his execution that Paul would attest to and hold the cloaks. Mm. And, and they had threatened the early church. They, they had intimidated the early church. They had incarcerated the early church. They had beaten the early church. Then they they threatened to kill them, and then they did kill them, mm. and they're scattered. And, and, and Paul's witnessing this as a high-level government official in the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee, and he's got papers from the highest authority to hunt them down in every nook and cranny to stop this uprising. Mm. And it's, it's this man who is dragging Christians, women and children, he's dragging them to imprison them, and he's, he's struck by the Lord. And he says, why are, why are you persecuting me? Mm. Almost like, what do you think you're doing? And then in addition, he says, are you having a problem? My, my name's Jesus, and you're kicking at the goad, Saul. And what he's saying is, you're, you're trying to sage your conscience of seeing Stephen's face, who you, you murdered, who loved you unto death, and, and ask that this not be held against you. While you were holding the cloaks and they're beating my servant, you can't get that out of your head because I've visited you in your dreams. I've, I've been prodding you. That's what goading is. And, and now you're asking who I am. You know exactly who I am because you sat on the trial when I was being tried as a Sanhedrin. You, all of Jerusalem knows of me. You saw the dead come out of the tombs. You, you saw the, the, the veil torn. You know exactly who I am. 
And it's, it's time that you step off your throne and let me come into your life. And he says, Lord, what would you have me do? Mm. And, and the reason why that's significant is this is the man who would go on later to write in 2 Corinthians 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Amen. He talks about our faces not being veiled. Yeah. And, and being, I mean, it's, it's a perfect verse for right now. Yes. But, but he's the one who proclaimed it. And then he writes in Galatians 6, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. This is the man that would give us the complete dissertation, both in Romans and Galatians and 2 Corinthians, that would formulate our founder's understanding of liberty. Mm. And, and if you don't have liberty, you don't have freedom. And you can't have liberty without God because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Mm. So last part, when we opened in defiance of the judge's order, now I'm in contempt and my hearing is this Friday. And, and, and they're up to a thousand they want to find. They want to get armed officers to shut us down. But thank God the new judge said no. But, but here I am facing these penalties. Hmm. And the church was packed on that Sunday. We, we were a church of 400 people on a good Sunday. There was, there was 2,500 people, standing room only. We had to turn people away with fire codes. We had churches drive to surround our building so they would get the tickets so that we could worship in peace. Sacrificial. Wow. It was it was an unbelievable day, the most precious worship I've ever seen. And these last two Sundays, our church has exploded. I mean, it's packed. I was going to ask you what your response was, and I want you to tell me that here in a minute, how people have been coming. But yeah, keep going. Yeah. Perfect segue, because it was my next point. Yeah. The church was filled, not with who you'd expect. We, there's, we have a picture. It's, a, it's really cool. It shows an atheist out front holding a sign saying, it took this bowl, and then he doesn't spell it out, but Gus says, it, it took this bowl to get this atheist to church. Wow. We had a, a gun store owner who was a, an, an avowed atheist, and, and he, he was so grateful somebody was standing. He understood liberty, and he came up, and he's hugging me, and he's got a shirt that says one slash of a thousand does, because he, he's like, I, I'll take a ticket. And they were all in service. And I had gone through this picture of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and I'm teaching through the book of Acts. And I just said, you guys don't know what, you, as Philip said to the Ethiopian, do you know what you're reading? How can I, unless someone tells me? I said, do you know why you're here? And I want to tell you why. You had been drinking from a stream of liberty that dried up. You skaters and you surfboarders, you lost your beaches and they filled your skate park with sand. Now they closed your businesses. And you're going upstream to find liberty, and you've come to its source, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Mm. You've been looking for this your whole life, and I just want you to know it's right here. Christ has come to set the captives free. And that's, that's the picture. And hundreds of people have come to Christ in our little church. Mm. And that message alone has had, what, 40,000 views for a little church of 400? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. Um, and so God is, is moving in this moment where clearly um, there's opposition. But if, as you remain faithful, the Lord is opening doorways for the gospel to be proclaimed and people to come to faith and people to walk into to your service that have never actually heard the gospel before. And so I think that's incredible. And, and to clarify for those who might be listening and not fully understand, in the state of California... If your church was to be just an NGO, like the same building, same everything, and you were just to offer food, just offer shelter, community services, you would be just fine. 
The judge would not come out against you. No one would stand in opposition. There would be no lawsuit. There would be no anything. They would leave you completely alone. The moment you gather for worship, proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, uh, when you come together for the sacrament of communion, when you come together for singing, worship, and in hymns, all of a sudden, that is when the opposition of the world just comes caving down on you guys. That, yeah. that's, that's the picture, though. And so I think there are those, by the way, within, and I'm going to put this in quotations, conservative evangelicalism, who live east of the Mississippi, who are in their kind of ivory tower academics. They might be at the Gospel Coalition. They might be at Christianity Today. They literally, pastor, do not know what's going on. And they're writing in such a way as to tell other Christians, the best thing Christians can do in this moment is simply to obey authority. I would love to hear your reaction to that. How would you as a pastor react to that? Well, I, when I was at the last hearing uh, that they were scheduling the, the contempt hearing that would be uh, this Friday, we had a new judge. His name was Judge O'Neill. And he said to my attorney, he said, ask your pastor about the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. And my, my attorney didn't hear me. He said, I'm sorry, Your Honor. And he said, why don't you have, your, why don't you have the, the pastor educate you on the second greatest commandment? And, and I'm grateful that Judge O'Neill invoked the second greatest commandment, that he invoked scripture. And, and love hopes all things, so I'm, I'm assuming he's in agreement with maybe my position on it. But it was interpreted by some of the press that I was getting schooled on the fact that I'm not loving my neighbor because I would expose them to a virus. And, and then I, I wrote to my attorney, and I went through it. And I said, it's true that we're to love our neighbors ourselves, And we have cared for the families who have tragically lost loved ones to this virus. We provided for them, even though they weren't members of our congregation. Yeah. We've continued to bring food to those who are shut in 65 and older with comorbidities as we've realized that this virus adversely affects them. And that 41% of the deaths in California have been in rest homes and assisted living. So we've been running errands for them every day. That's loving your neighbor. But I said, Your Honor, the toughest part about the second greatest commandment is in fulfilling it is what I'm about to share now. Because to fulfill this part of it, you have to stand in opposition to a government that is overreached and is sought to enslave its citizenry. We love our neighbor who has lost their business and their employment because of the intensity of the actions of an overreaching government for a virus that has a 99.8% survival rate. We, we love our neighbor who is living with a spouse that abuses them or a child that's abused, and now they've been sequestered and quarantined with their abuser. We love them. We love those who now 65% of the restaurants in our community will never reopen again. The, 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 suicide, is, the suicide rate is through the roof. Alcoholism consumption is at 150%. We love our neighbors to the point where we're willing to stand on their behalf to confront a government that has politicized this mm. and is destroying our neighbors and their livelihood and their families. 
and it's coming at great cost because we could lose our church. I will get fined. I could be imprisoned and a thousand of us will all do it together. Unprecedented in the history of the United States, they'll release convicts into our streets, but they'll come and shut the church and shutter the church. Mm. And the reason why they say, well, you could meet outdoors. Where are you going to put 2,500 people, especially when we've received death threats? And our staff member, one in particular, ADA, has a sun allergy that would literally kill him. We, we said that to the judge, mm. dismissed it. But here's the other point. The reason why Governor Newsom said you can meet outdoors is because when he was caught red-handed with the BLM marches, yes, he, he, he had violated the 14th Amendment. So he said, okay, yeah, churches can meet, but just like the rioters, outside. Yeah. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Right. We have a building. We haven't endangered anyone. Yes. And we have First Amendment rights. Mm. Now, we don't want to impose those at the danger of anyone else, and we've been willing to yield for the safety of our neighbors. But now we know the data. Yeah. And, and you can't manipulate it to destroy our community. We're going to stand on their behalf. Yes. And then lastly, I get this all the time. You're in violation of Romans 13. God appoints all positions of authority, and we're to respect that, and they're there for our good. And I agree with that interpretation 100%. I don't even have to bend it. But what anyone accusing me of violating a, a Romans 13 doesn't realize is the government where they live. We're in a constitutional republic, and the authority in Romans 13 is real simple. It's the first three words of the preamble of the Constitution, we the people. Amen. And, and the government, these, these folks over here, they govern by our consent. We're the authority. And they're bound, and they swear to defend this Constitution. They're bound by it, the seven articles. They're not allowed to break out of that and, and usurp or in, 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 in attack our inalienable rights. Mm. They don't give us mm. rights. The Constitution doesn't give us rights. These are given by God. Amen. And we're, it says in our Declaration of Independence is our right and our duty. So when you're talking about authority, it's we the people. Mm -hmm. And it says that we, we carry the sword, and we're instruments, we're, we're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who would do evil. There's two types of sword. You can carry the sword of the Scripture and contend for truth as the ecclesia, and, and the interpretation of that word is not church. It's not building. It's right. a secular term, and it means the, 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 the city square. It means the assembly. It means where you change the city, how you live. Mm. You can either carry that sword and, and declare the word of God. And if you don't, if you don't stand on behalf of the citizens and love your neighbor and defend them, mm -hmm. then ultimately they're going to wield a sword that's going to be bloody and God forbid that ever happen. So stand up so that nobody has to die. We have something far more powerful than the sword. We have the pen, the yes. written word, the logos. Mm -hmm. Stand upon truth. Amen. Whatever things are true, mm. this is not a pandemic. Mm. It's so true. And I, and when I love how you define the love of God and the love of neighbor, because, Pastor, what I think is so missing right now is that love can only mean one thing to most people, and that is safety or niceness. But truth is dangerous. And the love of God, there is great danger as well. I, I love what C.S. Lewis said. Uh, and, and, and it was in the Chronicles of Narnia, and they were talking about Aslan, who is the king, and he's good. And, and uh, they said, who is Aslan? He says, he's a lion. And they said, oh, he's a lion. Is he safe? And he said, no, he's not safe, but he's good. 
And I, I think what we're missing in Christianity is, is the reality that truth is dangerous. Jesus did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And every day that, every day that you get up in front of a, a group of people and you preach the word of God, there's going to be danger because that's what the warfare, the spiritual warfare is all about. It is bearing the sword of the spirit. And that's exactly what you're doing there in California. And uh, for those who within Christianity are sort of redefining terms, I think there's not only a biblical illiteracy, but as you say, we the people, there's a constitutional illiteracy. People don't actually understand. Good, well-meaning, well-intended people don't actually understand the government as we have it. Who really is the law in the country? And what is the rule of law? Um, I want to I want to ask you this kind of in closing, kind of in the finality. And there's a couple of more things I'd love to hit. But um, you know, where do we go from here as a country? Um, when you when you think about where we stand, you think about the existential crisis in 2020 in this election. But not only the election, the culture at large. There is something that is happening that goes beyond. The culture war, as we've known it for the past 15 years, 20 years, whatever, there is something insidiously evil that is rearing its head in ways that I think the church has never been tested before in this country. Not, I wouldn't say ever in the, in the history of the world, but in this country, that we're seeing a, a whole new wave of, of, of new uh, cultural expressions of Marxism, collectivism, socialism, that we've never had to face before. What, what is it that you see the biggest challenge in this year uh, as a pastor? I think it was a Barna study that said 65% of Americans don't think the church is essential mm. in the time of a pandemic. And when I said earlier, this isn't a pandemic, it isn't now, the numbers are too low. That's what I didn't finish saying. Yeah. It was a pandemic, but it isn't now. Mm -hmm. So 65% of Americans don't believe the church to be essential. And that's the reason, and the church doesn't believe itself to be essential. They, they just, they, they don't see a need to be present. They, they don't, they don't, they're not contending. Mm. And, and we've come that the, they know the truth and the truth would set them free. And the Lord has come to set the captives free. And this is a whole story of redemption. Three to five million Jews enslaved. They cry out to God. God delivers them. He brings them into the wilderness. He gives them self-governance, appointing Godly men are not covetous. There were thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. He puts the moral law in the center of the community. They lived there for 40 years without a, a, a police force or a standing army because they knew how to get along. The church is critical to any government, especially a constitutional republic. It won't survive that people would have liberty and freedom mm. if they're not if they're if they're not accountable to God and to each other. Mm. And and the churches have to to realize that. And we say, well. The church shouldn't be involved in politics. God invented government. Yeah. Politics, as Aristotle said, is the highest form of community. It combines morality and sociability. It's applied in every circumstance of life, whether it's a family or a church, you deal with government and politics. That's right. And you're abdicating your responsibility by saying, I preach the gospel. Mm. What do you mean? Mm. The gospel tra transforms culture. That's right. You have a nation that that in the 6,000 years of recorded history, every nation before it has been an oligarchy where the few rule the many. And for the span of 244 years, 
It's, it, it, it's the longest surviving nation under one birth certificate. And this 5% of the population has been given liberty because of, of their understanding that their rights come from God and they're accountable to him and to each other. Mm. And, and from that principle and that basis, you, you, go, you go to any city in the world and you, you go into a skyscraper and you, it's there because an American invented the elevator. You, you, you see cities built in the desert and they're there because an American invented the air conditioner. You fly there because an American invented the airplane. We're now talking about this over the internet that an American, not Al Gore, invented. Right. Amen. And that's because this is a land of freedom and liberty. But with liberty comes abundance and with abundance comes apathy and with an ap- apathy comes dependence and dependence back to bondage mm. if the church is going to be dependent on the state and we're not going to insert the triangle of freedom of faith virtue and freedom to set these folks free we're going to usher in the next generation of young people to just yield to the government wear a mask why it doesn't matter but what's the data we don't need the data we just preach the gospel what gospel it's over yeah they'll just they'll just march you into oblivion yeah yeah i i i I wholeheartedly agree i wholeheartedly agree i think i think the biggest danger we have is an ignorant population especially of young who don't understand what their liberty is or how to defend it or that it comes at a great price that it that it was not without the shedding of blood um there a couple of years ago there was a right how did that happen yeah happened because for 51 years we haven't participated in the ecclesia the public square yeah we don't go to school board meetings we don't go to council meetings and and when the scripture says pray for kings and those in authority that we would live quiet and peaceful lives and all godliness and reverence there's there's very few pastors out there that can name their five city council members their five school board members let alone you know their their supervisors of their county Mm. and the issues that they're praying for to allow their community to live quiet and peaceful lives Mm -hmm. they just step out yeah. We just we just want people to raise their hand and put money in the box and say we're preaching the gospel. He didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. That sh- that that Galatians three. Paul said this. Yeah. The yeah. law. Mm-hmm. The law given by God. Yep. And there was already salvation by grace in Genesis fifteen. Abraham believed God, credited him as righteousness. He had it in Ephesians two. Why did he give the law? Paul says. Yeah. The law is a guardian to keep us safe. And point us to Christ until faith comes. Yeah. How do you apply those laws in the civic and the public square if you're not engaged in it? Good government only happens with good people. And we have just stepped out. It's time to step back in. Amen. So, Pastor, just in, fi- in final and in closing, uh, who, who in this space, you're a hero to many. And, and we thank you for standing up. And, and for doing what is necessary for your congregation, for the people of California and America at large, who who's a hero to you? People that have that have stand up, stood up, and and, and have sacrificed. The, the business owners, the people who've stood up and said enough's enough. Mm. The, the hair salon owners, yeah. the folks that own the gymnasiums that they're shutting down, they're standing up and saying enough is enough. The skaters and the they're not churchgoers. They're standing. Yeah, and and and. You know, I, I, I wish people would take a look. They're saying, "Would you, would you help us be set free?" Mm. And I'll tell you who's a hero. Uh, Jack Hibbs is a hero. He always has been. I'm, I'm blessed by him. Love Jack Hibbs. Yes. But I think of the story of Elisha when he's dying, and this, 
you have Elijah who is just hardcore and Elisha who said to Elisha, I, I want a double portion. And Elijah, just get away from me, kid. You bother me. And Elisha was the mother man of Israel, who's sweet as can be. And, and here he is, the prophet. He's got a double portion from Elijah. He was insistent upon it. And now he's dying. He's on his deathbed. And he's, he would ultimately die of, what he, of, the, of the thing that was ailing him. And the king of Israel comes in and he says, uh, my king my, or, or my lord, my lord. And he starts to lament Elisha and is, is dying. And Elisha says, open the window and shoot an arrow out, the east window, which is declaring war against the, the enemy. And he does. He says, now strike the ground with some arrows. And the king strikes it two or three times. And Elisha, you've never seen him angry in the scriptures. And here he is dying. And he just gets livid. He just says, you should have struck it five or six times. And what he's saying to the king, who's young, is like what John MacArthur's doing at 81 years of age. He's looking at all these zealous young pastors who've got the cool shave and the hairdo and the jeans and the and they're and they're relevant and they're hip and they're great. And I love them. And they're the new generation. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've got muscles because they've been working out. They're, they're healthy. They take care of themselves. And this 81-year-old man, is looking at them and saying, I don't have your vitality in your youth, but I've got conviction. Hmm. When I was your age, I didn't want to be half the man as Elijah. I wanted to be twice the man as Elijah. Where is your backbone? Hmm. This is the war. That's the enemy. Take it on. Fight. And at 81 years of age, now granted, I have not agreed with Pastor John MacArthur on a lot of things sure, through life. Sure, absolutely. Right I understand. Yeah. Right now, Amen. He is blessing the socks off me. Amen. Amen. I will. Yes, absolutely. That is a good word. And that's a good final word. Pastor Rob McCoy, Godspeak, Calvary Chapel there in California. Sir, thank you so much. And I just I really appreciate all you're doing for this country, uh, for the folks there in California and for the atheist skaters who need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for all you do. My pleasure, Ryan. And, and it's not just last thing. It's not for the atheist skaters. Mm. The Antifa that showed up, mm. one of the guys named uh, Furry Potato, and he was dressed in Kevlar, ready to go. And he's, he's he or she, we don't know, transitioning one to another. Mm. That Antifa? Yeah. That's the next Apostle Paul. Mm. Amen. People aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. Amen. It's time to fight and fight the ideology and watch what God will do to stand firm. God bless you, Ryan.